Hello and welcome to Enspectech, the Olympus NDT podcast. My name is Emily Peloquin and I want to thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is all about NDT and about the incredible people that work in our industry. I've been in this industry for just over a decade now, and I'm still amazed by the incredible people that I get to work with and how tightly connected this community is. On this show, I have the chance to welcome experts from the field to chat about everything and anything, from challenging applications to new trends and even tips and tricks on how to improve your NDT game. I hope you'll enjoy the unique insight that our guests are sharing with us and that it will inspire others to also want to help in making this world a safer place. Today, I sat with the owner and chief engineer at Ruckus Composites, Sean Small. As Sean puts it, Ruckus Composites is a company that started with a love of bicycle technology, a degree in mechanical engineering, and the drive to make change. They strive to educate themselves, but also the community about bicycle science, where you might have guessed, NDT falls right in. Today, Sean shares with us how NDT changed their business and also the overall service that they were able to offer to their customers. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. So Sean, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So it's a little different with you because usually I ask, how did you find out about NDT and how did you started your NDT career? But for you, it's not really an NDT career. It's more an NDT interest or uh, something you wanted to add to your current business. So how, how did it start? Yeah, it's a long kind of story. My background's in mechanical engineering. And, you know, during my college tenure time, I did some internships that worked around the predictive uh, maintenance and diagnostics world. So I was a little exposed years and years and years ago back in college you know almost two decades now at this point which is scary to think about um so i was a little familiar at that point i didn't ever perform any ultrasound but we did some infrared imaging and some of our technicians were also ndt techs as well so that kind of always put the thought in my brain but the story of how it rolled into my current business at ruckus composites is kind of a longer story of trying to figure out how to make ultrasound work for our unique application. That's right. that's a long story. I'm not sure if we want to go down that whole rabbit hole today or not. Well, actually, that's what always interests me. So, you know, as you mentioned, you know, this is, uh, you have a, uh, you're the owner and the chief engineer for a, uh, what started at just a repair shop for, for a bicycle, a composite bicycle. And so later you uh, introduce, let's say, the testing of that as well. Is that correct? Yes, it is. We started off, um, I started the business for over 14 years ago. And the original intent was to manufacture carbon composite components okay. um, for the for the bike industry. And we kind of as time went on and as I grew up myself in a lot of ways, um, the business turned more service oriented. And we started with carbon fiber repair on bicycles. And then we kind of saw a unique need or demand for a way to do inspection and doing inspection with composites is incredibly 
complicated to put it mildly um, it can, yeah it can be for sure yeah one of the biggest aspects is you know just budget for starters and you know the size of the components we're inspecting the complexity and really our biggest issue is the geometry so many of the bicycles yeah. we work on are you know small compared to what most traditional ndt applications are so yeah it was a kind of a long and hard fought journey. We're pretty, you know, nowadays we feel very um, proficient with it all. And you know, we've gone through trainings and one of my staff members is also an NDT tech as well. I saw that level two now, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he used to do bridge and rope access inspections. So okay. yeah, it's kind of nice to have around for some of the other stuff that we need inspected from time to time. But generally the composite side was kind of a, homegrown or you know self-grown initiative where we had to figure everything out the hard way and figure out how to relate it back to bicycles or bicycle safety or composites and that's it's been a long journey but you know we've come a long ways yeah that and so yeah you you we hear about weld inspection all the time obviously but but composite is a different beast and And, and yeah, it can be extremely challenging. So finding experts, you kind of need to teach your, yourself about it and, and to, to do trial and errors. And, uh, and yeah, I'm sure at least you got a lot of different samples in house <laughs> to know what's damaged and what's not. So that probably was helpful to teach yourself. Yeah, exactly. The nice part about having a fabrication facility is we can create all of our own flaws, right. um, no matter what they are, whether they're what's known as inclusions or, you know, if there's defects or voids or delaminations. You know, the hard part about composites, one of the hard parts for me early on was trying to find resources or information. You know, there's a lot of composites utilized in the aerospace industry, but they're all application specific by mm -hmm. specific companies, which is completely understandable, but there's not much out in the realm of the public sector for studying. So I couldn't turn to uh, some of the traditional, you know, resources for information like ASNT or ASTM. There's, there's some information there, but it's a lot of, since every composite application is so wildly unique you kind of have to reinvent the wheel every single time, which is fun for me in a sense, because I know what I'm doing at this point, but early mm -hmm. on it was just a complete disaster of trying to figure out just the correct way to, you know, the right frequencies or transducer setups, or even just how to analyze the signal you would get back. So it was kind of a hard fought battle yet again, but you know, now we feel very confident with what we're doing. We can set up and scan different levels of composites and really see what's going on. So, and you started with uh, the conventional UT, just one single element uh, on the bike using a, a 45 MG, I think, or a you know, thickness gauge, right? Yeah, we started with that basic. Uh, the one thing that helped us out was our rep, our Olympus rep, um, just was super nice. And he would just let us borrow equipment because okay, nice. he couldn't necessarily advise us in any technical manner, per right. se. You know, he didn't have any expertise in this and he's like well try this out for a little bit you guys seem like you can figure it out and yet again my repair technician had um worked under olympus equipment so it made it a little easier mm. you know just understanding where all the buttons and settings are is kind of half yeah. the battle sometimes <laughs> it can be uh, yeah. yeah exactly it's not always you know it's not like an iphone or anything it's a totally different device right um so we settled on the 45 mg with some of the you know a lot of the extra additions added to it for analysis and 
it worked really well for a long time. It was a really, you know, kind of cheap and entry level, I shouldn't say cheap, but like a nice entry level proof of concept for us that, you know, showed us how versatile it really was. You you don't get as rich of a data set from it. Uh, We eventually transferred, you know, and demoed a lot of the newer phased array equipment. And we had that X3 out here for a while. Um, It was a little overkill for us a little bit. I mean, it's super (laughs) handy. It could do everything, but it was a bit of a beast. Uh, So we ended up, oh yeah. it, well, you you only need one phase rate channel for your purpose because you know the X3 you can have you know you can inspect welds with eight different channels. Yeah. But, you know for composite one uh, channel at zero degree. You know even if you have sixty four element, it's still one channel. So yeah. So you, you ended up with with the OmniScan SX, I'm assuming. Yeah, we did. It was you know it's it was kind of like that nice Goldilocks machine for us where it's like it can do everything we need it to and it's portable and it's a lot lighter and it was more affordable and just kind of really worked for our needs of yeah as you said it's all just zero degree and so the the with the sx uh, actually what what was the advantage versus you know you were able to do a spot check with the other one but now with phased array of course i guess you were able to to map or to scan and and have a, an image a bit more precise yeah it's two things really um you know, you have a, we settled on a 16 element, um, 10 megahertz transducer, and that seems to be the right balance of near field resolution and just resolution in general for our applications. And what two things I like it for is I get a little more comprehensive view of what I'm looking at. You kind of get that two dimensional view a little bit, or, you know, it's still planar, but you're looking straight through the composite. So it's a little easier for me to actually see what I'm looking at instead of just the traditional waveform. You know, the waveform's handy, but it only tells you one part of the story. And with now going to the phased array, you can see the whole, you get a much more comprehensive view of what's actually going on. And we created some flat bottom drill samples, just like a traditional ASTM drill block. And, you know, you can actually see the flat hole in the composite, which is kind of cool to see all that geometry and all the radius of curvature, because almost everything we work on has a very organic shape to it, which makes scanning right. very, very difficult okay. um, at times. So, and honestly, the main thing I like most about going to the phased array system is just the speed and the reliability. You know, it's you know those elements are all working together, but it does kind of give me a little redundancy when I'm doing just a zero degree scan to mm-hmm. move a little faster over every bike or every object I'm. Uh, inspecting so it helps with just the speed and throughput as well i bet yeah because uh, as you said uh, you know it, it can be uh, although it, it's small parts but that that's a lot to cover still uh and a lot of funky geometry so i'm sure i'm sure that that does help in knowing where you're at and making sure you're not missing any spots and exactly yeah and i have uh, uh probably six or seven different transducers here you know, for all different parts of the bike. We have some, you know, some single element transducers and we have one of those sono pens, I think they're called, yeah, which is yeah. impossibly hard to hold, which I'm sure everybody's <laughs> familiar with. But when you do hold it right, you get good data out of it. Right, right, exactly. It's uh, it's true. It's it's hard to use, but uh, but the, the it's hard to replace too. There's nothing quite like it otherwise. Exactly, yeah. We've made a lot of our own custom delay line blocks for every geometry ever and it's... Mm. Let's see. Yeah, a lot of you know a lot of custom solutions out here. 
Very cool. And so, what do you do? You think that what's the advantage versus going to uh, another repair shop? You know, obviously, you have much more data, much more information about maybe what happened uh, to the bike, uh, to the composite. And so, does that help you in the, the the repairing process as well? You feel? Yeah, it does. You know, we've worked on probably almost seventeen thousand cases at this point. So, wow. Our, yeah, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot. Um, so we've kind of seen every bike ever, you know, one way or another, uh, from, you know, the most commonly sold ones to some of the most unique or boutique bikes. We worked on some that have been at the Tour de France level. We've done inspections wow. for manufacturers. We've done just about, you know, kind of everything with a composite bicycle or product. You know, you can think of, we've looked at it. So what's, what's nice with a lot of bikes is, you know, they're not, isotropic in any way because they're a composite but even the wall thickness varies pretty drastically in certain portions of the bike and kind of yeah being able to scan for damage is helpful we can map out the damage size you know if necessary and we can that we then use that thickness data and the damage kind of area size to help generate our repair size because each repair has to be significantly larger than the damage to safely gotcha. integrate into the frame but you know it's well, I w- you can sand into stuff but you're kind of doing it blind a little bit mm-hmm. and for certain thicker portions of a bike you know when you get above the two millimeter thickness range damages don't necessarily show very well two uh, millimeter you say yeah when you get a thicker than two millimeters Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, we work on the very thin, thin side of things. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Wow, that must be challenging. So mainly looking for at this point, not manufacturing defects per se, although I guess that's a possibility, but also impacts. Um, what what else can happen? Yeah, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. You know, there are some defects. You know, every bike or every composite material they try to minimize the air pockets or the porosity in it and yeah on more modern stuff every all the composites are very clean but some of the older stuff you know 10 years ago or older the manufacturing was a little uh, rougher (laughs) to put it you know to put it nicely um it doesn't mean things were bad they were just kind of overbuilt or a little rough and they weren't as clean or they didn't ride as nice as some of the more modern equipment does I bet, but I bet. yeah so we you know we kind of see some manufacturing defects um there's a lot of what we call user generated events meaning i don't know somebody <laughs> broke it or crashed it right. or you know they over clamped it you know if they're clamping something to it if people oh, you know yeah. break a torque wrench or don't use a torque wrench for starters mm-hmm. and sadly we see a lot of uh collisions with automobiles that's a oh, big no. one. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one's always sad. And, you know, sometimes the bikes look totally fine. And people want to go. And hopefully the human, too. <laughs> yeah, it's there's been some sad cases. but Oh, no. But in general, you know, some of the composites look look fine. Um, it mm-hmm. kind of is the way I look at a scenario like that is there's a lot of energy and momentum. And that's got to go somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. that somewhere could mean into the person could mean into the bike, could mean into the car, or it could just mean it was transferred to the ground some way. You know, it's right, right. There's a lot of energy at play. And I just look at everything kind of from a top level view of, okay, try to recreate it in my head and 
think about the failure, different failure modes of every tube and every component and, mm-hmm. you know, try to rebuild that story a little bit. That's super interesting. Yeah, because I, I guess uh, it's not always obvious, you know, it's not always right there at the surface where you can, that you can spot even impacts. Uh, I'm sure it, it, you know, if one part gets um, uh, twisted in a certain way, then it impacts the rest of, uh, you know, uh, of the, the structure, uh, I'm sure as well. And, and you certainly don't want to find out the hard way. Uh, which would be very destructive and, and not 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 destructive at all and very dangerous for the for the biker yeah it can be very dangerous we've seen you know kind of what happens if you know component crap breaks under somebody you know you hit you can hit the ground pretty hard and you can just imagine what that means for the rider right yeah exactly exactly and so What was done before, before you, you or other places where you don't necessarily have the technology or don't know yet about NDT? How is it inspected right now or is it even <laughs> inspected right now? Uh, sadly, it's just visual. You know, the there's what's known as the quarter tap test and yep. people... Familiar with it in the aerospace industry too, which is scary to think, but yes, it still exists it, in the aerospace industry. <laughs> And, and, you know, I always say, you know, we've done a lot of trainings and seminars and people ask us, you know, what can they do at home or back at their bike shop? And, you know, I always say the quarter tap test is right. it works when it's obvious. You know what I mean? Like, right. If you're tapping on something and you hear a dead spot, you can usually visually see it, too. Right, and right. the hard part with the tap test is there's so many variations of who's tapping it and how they're tapping it. Yeah. Or the object they're tapping on, you know, essentially turns it into a, you know, like a drum or some sort of percussive instrument. And you got to think about like, well, how is that amplifying that sound or distorting right. that sound? And with bikes, the hard part is the wall thickness varies so much. I was about to say exactly that. Of course, your sound will change as you tap. And so for listeners also, you know, if you're not familiar with the tap test, it, and that's literally what it does is to take a coin and to tap it on the part and to hear for a difference in the sound to make sure that there's not, you know, porosity or uh, lamination, delamination. Uh, so the sound will change if there is a delam. But As Sean is, you know, as you're explaining, yes, if the thickness is changing, of course, this the sound will change too. So how do you, you know, make the, how do you make the difference between something that is a defect versus something that is normal geometry? Yeah, exactly. And with bikes and with a lot of composites, they're made up of many, many layers of carbon. And nowadays they're mixing in different woven materials throughout the layers to kind of mm -hmm. mitigate damage spread you know if there does take an impact you know say a, a mountain bike you know it's mm -hmm. gonna have a little harder life um you know it's gonna hit some trees and some rocks and, <laughs> and can still generally be fine but you know there's all these other materials baked into it now whether it's fiberglass or different woven carbons and even those kind of distort your tap test so that was kind of one of the reasons why you know, I guess six, seven years ago, we started the ultrasound journey or just our NDT journey in general. Mm -hmm. You know, I looked around at infrared and flash thermography. We've done uh, laser shear. We've done CT scans. You know, I have a suite of results, but, you know, ultrasound really was the only way for us to go or it's the only reliable system that kind of is universal enough right. for us to 
be able to deploy it and get good data. Some of the other methods were just, well, they're super expensive for starters. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, they were just limited. Their data just wasn't very good. And all this thermography and laser shear just, I don't know, it didn't give us any usable data that I didn't know was already there. It didn't tell me anything new. Okay. Uh, versus okay. the nice thing about ultrasound is it would give me deeper data than I could have on my own. It is slow. I would say that's my only downside is <laughs> I have to physically do it. Um, right. But although we, I, I know that you've looked into some uh, maybe an approach to have this done uh, by maybe a small robot or you know in some automated way that would be an option also very easily for ultrasound. Yeah, that that's the dream. Um, you know, if I had a million dollars, more than a million dollars, and someone said build, you know, build a system that could scan bikes autonomously, I would yeah. gladly jump on that. It would be yeah, some sort of AI based vision system, which is, you know, it's not science fiction anymore, which is nice, but it's still kind that's of right. yeah. uh, not that easy to do yet. That's true. Yeah, there's so many different shapes of bikes and so on that it, it would make it uh, quite difficult to make sure that uh, it adjusts with the, the, the different frames and so on. But yeah, as you say, certainly uh, starts to be much more on, on people's radar and much more um, accessible, I guess, uh, as far as technology goes. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to it. Just, you know, not having coupling on my hands at the end of the day some days. <laughs> Right. That's true. It's part, part of the of game. The fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Sean, thank you very much for uh, this chat today. I think it's very interesting what you did uh, with uh, with your shop and what you continue to do and how you constantly evolve with the technology, uh, how you bring really data and, and, and better um, service through science. So thank you for sharing it, sharing it with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That's it for today's show. I don't know about you, but I always like to hear about different applications for NDT out there, like this one. It's just another way to make the world safer. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you know of an application that is out of the ordinary or that you simply would like to share with this NDT community, just reach out to me at podcast at olympus.com. And maybe we can have you next on the show. Because the more we share, the more we know. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in and to continue of keeping the world a safer place out there. Take care. <laughs>